Hello, chefs. You're listening to Chef's PSA Podcast. I'm your host, Andre Natera. This week's episode is part two, continuation of last week's episode, How to Survive as a Line Cook. We're going to get into some different terms that I use and give you a couple more tips on how I would approach a line cook today and uh, maybe maybe change your mind on some things and help you think different. Stay tuned. So what was I up to this week? Actually, I, I feel like I didn't do anything, but anyway, I'll give you an update on some some things. So I, um, I've i redesigned the Red Book, so the original Chef's PSA, How Not to Be the Biggest Idiot in the Kitchen. I've had to shrink it a little bit. I changed the title. I added a couple of things at the end. So the book is, it's not the original book. There's some slight modifications. I think it's a better version of the original book. So, you know, let's call it the second edition. I also had to update the price. Unfortunately, the printing cost was too much due to inflation. And uh, it went from $10 to now it's $12. But it's still the same. Honestly, it's probably like a $5,000 book. I might have to raise the price because it's that good. You need it. Go get it. Anyway. These are jokes. I also just put out a new Chef's PSA shirt, merch. You could find it on the uh, store. You go to chefspsa.com and it'll link you to the to the Chef's PSA store. You could also buy it on my Instagram account. There's a link button there. Um, you could also find it in my link tree and all my social channels. Um, however, I wouldn't buy it directly from Instagram because sometimes it shows things that aren't there. Anyway, the shirt is... Um, it's a, it's a very beautiful scenery with the words truffle butter on it and a big smiley face because truffle butter is everyone's favorite steak topping. No other reason steak topping. That's all I know is the steak topping. I don't know any other definitions for it and the smiley face because you know, who doesn't get happy with, uh, with truffle butter. So if you want that shirt, that's where you can find it. So I, that shirt will come out. And I had said before that I was going to do limited edition stuff, but I, I've, I've decided against it because it's weird to just sell one thing at a time. That's the more I thought about it, so I've changed my mind on it. So I will, uh, over the next few weeks, I'll start putting out more stuff and the things will remain. So, you know, it's, um, it's all farm to table. That'll stay there. Truffle butter will stay there. Awake and ready will stay there. Line cook water, magic chef juice, etc. It's going to remain on the store. Additionally, I just put out a chef recipe journal. So it's not a recipe book because a lot of people were DMing me. It's like, oh, what recipes in there? It's like, none. You put the recipes in there. It's a blank journal. There's different colors. Um, you could buy them on Amazon. You could, you could um, hit my link in my social profile and it'll take you to the black one. Um, but there's a red journal, a blue journal, black journal, etc. A um, couple of different colors. But anyway, if you need a recipe journal and who doesn't you work in a kitchen you should go buy that now you need to write things down i said this in the last podcast the worst pen is better than the best memory so write shit down use a journal chef's psa journals are better than every other journal because they support chef's psa anyway back to line cooking the subject at hand so i got a lot of feedback over the past week that um subjects that maybe you guys wanted me to expand upon or I didn't touch on, but also I'm throwing in a couple as I'm writing this book. So Line Cook Survival Manual, it's going to be a shorter book similar to the first one, but I'm already more than halfway done with it. Then it's, you know, last couple of pages, edit, publish. My goal is that I will hopefully have this out um, for the holidays. So I, I really want to help chefs and cooks. So the more information I'm able to share, 
the better it is for everyone. My purpose, as I've said before, really is to help people. Like I, I know I joke around. And I am notorious, if you know me in real life, for goofing off and talking shit. But it all comes from a good place. Like I, my true mission is I really do want to help cook. So um, sometimes I, I say shit just because I think it's funny. And I realize other people don't think it's funny. Um, but I'm, I'm just a mad shit talker. I, I really, um, it all comes from a good place. My true passion is helping people. And I, I, um, I have really stepped aside from kitchens so I could focus on that and help make the work environment a better place, help cooks become chefs faster, help chefs become better chefs faster. That's my purpose, right? Anyway, knife etiquette. Let's start right there. So if you're new to the kitchen, which a lot of people know this, but I, I think I should probably talk about it again. And that is when it comes to knives, depending on where you work, because it's, it's, it's a thing where a lot of places will provide you knives now and they have community knives, right? So you don't need to buy knives. Knives are expensive. When you're a new cook, you go into a kitchen. If that restaurant where you work, and I don't, I don't know where you work. Some kitchens have community knives and they stand by that. Like everyone, you don't have to buy your knives. We all share knives. Uh, other places it's like, well, no, bring your own knives. But then there's that gray area. Maybe you bring your knives, but they also offer community knives. Let's talk about specifically your knives, not other people's knives, not community knives, your knives in particular. If you work at a place where you bring your knives or it's the combination, you could use their knives or you could bring your own. If you've spent a lot of money because knives are expensive, right? Knives are not cheap. And if you're, you're getting up into the expensive Japanese ones, you know, you're talking into the thousands of dollars. Knives are expensive. So when someone touches your knife or they drop it or they chip it or, you know, they, they cut the wrong thing with it and it starts to discolor, that infuriates a chef. The knife is like the extension of the chef. It's like their lightsaber. It's their samurai sword. You should never touch another chef's knife without asking. And, and sometimes the chef will say, no, don't touch my knife. The worst thing you could do is like you could take their knife, chip it, put it back, and be like, oh, no, it wasn't me. I didn't take your knife. But anyway, do not touch another chef's knife. Knife etiquette 101. If it's not your knife, don't touch it. It's over there. Pretend it doesn't exist. Don't mess with a chef's knife. I mean, it's it's personal. Someone commented on my TikTok. Uh, I don't I don't know, but if, if if this was you, shout out to you. Touching my knife is like touching my wife. Hands off. I, I thought that was pretty funny. Anyways, it was a good comparison. But that's just that's just the the stories. Like knife etiquette. Don't touch someone's knife. And when we come, when we talk about knives, I think if you're just starting out as a chef. I highly recommend that you start out with the German knives. They're a little bit heavier. Uh, German style knives, right? The heavier ones. Um, practice. They're not, they're sharp and your knife should be sharp, right? You, the expression is, you know, a, a sharp knife cuts and a dull knife hurts you. So a, a sharp knife will cut you and a dull knife will hurt you. I think I said that right. But the Japanese knives, you know, the, the very beautiful knives, like they're lighter, they're sharper, um, they move quicker. You put less force in it. It's it's a whole different ball game. So if you don't know what you're doing, it's like, you know, for your first knife, don't go and get the $10,000 knife or, you know, the $1,000 knife or the $500 knife. Go get something that's going to feel comfortable. Practice. You know, if you drop it, it's a little bit more forgiving. It's not going to chip. It's not going to break. Um, you know, it's not going to it's not going to patina or anything like that. Start there. Start with a less expensive knife and then work your way up to a more expensive knife. And the other thing, like, again, I'm assuming you're a new line cook. If you're an experienced cook, you're like, no, no shit. We all know this. But if you're a new line cook, I'm going to break some news to you. People steal knives. 
I've had my knife set stolen at least three times completely in my career. And I mean the entire set. Like, I've had to replace knife, uh, knife sets at least three times. One time I, I, I left my knife set out, and uh, it was my fault. But other times people are wearing my stuff and, and taking it. So do not spend so much money early on in your career when you haven't really mastered the knife yet and, and waste your money. Like, get good, at the, the less ex- get good at knife skills with less expensive knives, and then as you get better, progress into more expensive knives. It, there's a lot of chefs out there that, like, knife collecting is a big thing. Chubbo Knives, shout out. I, I, like, uh, I like those guys. I like what they're doing. Anyway. You could sponsor the show also. I also want to talk about controlling temperatures. And when I say controlling temperatures, you know, we could, we could really get into this. And it was actually, a, it's a chapter that I wrote in the book right now. So it's, it's uh, at the top of my mind. If you want to be a better cook, understanding how to control temperature is going to make you a better cook. So, you know, resting your meat at room temp. So that when you cut into it, the juice doesn't go everywhere. That's controlling the temperature. When you're cooking eggs, the difference between a fried egg like a crispy Asian style fried egg or a very soft over easy egg is controlling the temperature. When you're making an omelet, whether, you know, we call the American style omelet where they're folded in half and the curds are a little larger and they're more browned versus, you know, what we call the French omelet where the curds are super creamy and there is no coloration. It's nice and pale. That's temperature control. The greatest trick that a cook can learn is that little this little weird thing that's on the stove where you adjust the temperature it's like a dial and you turn things down or you turn things up it's a magical thing learn how to use that thing learn how to control temperature when you're temping your steaks or your seafood or whatever your protein is before you cook it you know it's it cooks differently than if you're cooking it from ice cold right so all these things matter the better cooks know how to control temperature better. So I I do think that's something for line cooks. You know, when you're busy, learn how to control temperatures. Make sure your cold food is cold, meaning not just your your salad is nice and crisp in the cooler, but your bowls are in the cooler, right? If you, you know, assuming that you could do that. If you're serving shrimp, you serve it on ice because you want it to be cold. Oysters, the same thing. So understanding how to control temperature is the sign of a high level cook. So keep that in mind. I also want to talk about, so I want to share some slang with you all that I I like, um, slang that I use. So a word that I throw around often is called a Halloween ninja. And I, I did a video on this, but I'll, I'll make it less uh, dramatic for social media. You know, on social media, you know, it's more dramatic. Podcast, long format conversation could be less dramatic. So a Halloween ninja, when kids dress up on Halloween, they dress up like a ninja. They have plastic or wooden swords. They look like ninjas. They have the uniform, but they're not real ninjas. They're Halloween ninjas, Halloween superheroes, right? So you, you understand the analogy. It's like, oh my God, a ninja, and you pretend, but it's like, oh no, that's just, oh no, it's me, dad, or whatever, right? I'm just a five-year-old dressed like a ninja. I'm not a real ninja. Well, no shit. You're a Halloween ninja. The same thing applies in the kitchen. So sometimes cooks will come in with the most expensive knives, getting back to my earlier point, or like the most expensive, coolest aprons, and they stand out because it doesn't match the uniform, but they want to... They want to make a little noise and be the exception to the rule. And I'm not saying I don't like fancy things because I do. I like nice aprons. I like nice knives. But the problem is with these Halloween ninjas is they go out and they buy the most expensive apron and the most expensive knives, but they don't have any experience yet. Like they don't, they don't fully understand like, hey, you shouldn't, you shouldn't go buy a 
thousand dollar knife for reasons that I said earlier, or, hey, you should wear the same uniform that the rest of us are wearing and not try to look like the coolest person in the kitchen. When you're trying to look like the coolest person in the kitchen, but you don't know how to cook, it's a bad look. I have no better way to explain it than that. When you're trying really hard to look good, but you don't know how to cook, it is a bad look. And that's a Halloween ninja. Someone that dressed up, looks the part, but, you know, doesn't know what they're doing. Halloween ninjas. That's some slang. For line cooks and for cooks in general, like, I'm warning you on this. Do it at your own risk. If you want to do it, do it. If it makes you feel good to wear a, a cool apron and, and get the expensive knife, do it. I'm just saying, from my standpoint, you shouldn't do it. You should focus on the skills first because it makes you stand out for the wrong reasons, as I alluded to earlier. Anyway, let's talk about counting things. I put a PSA up. It said, um, three rules in catering. Count everything, rule number one. Count everything, rule number two. Count everything, rule number three. As a cook, you should count absolutely everything. Everything. If you're working in a banqueting department, how many asparagus are on the tray? How many steaks are on the tray? How many are on the rack? How many plates are in the box? Everything gets counted. How many lids do we have? How many salads got plated? How many pieces of tomato do we have? Everything gets counted in a catering kitchen. How many boxes of gloves did you bring? How many plate wipes did you make? All of that matters. On the line, same thing. If you have a pan of, I'm just using steaks as an example, and let's say your pan can fit 10 steaks on the line. You should always know one pan has 10 steaks. I'm just using this as an example. Don't get caught up on the number 10. One pan has 10 steaks. The backup that you have in the fridge also has 10 steaks. So you know you have a total of 20. So when you sell the first pan and you're out, you know I have 10 left, right? So that way you could tell your chef or whoever's on the pass, whoever's running service, chef, I have 10 steaks left. Because you know you have 10. Everything's always the same. Everything's exactly the same all the time. Count everything. You know what you have. You know if you're running low on something, exactly how many pieces you had at the beginning of service, right? You know that there's backup or you know that there is no backup. When everything is counted, it's the sign of a very thoughtful cook. You know how to, you know how to work, right? It's a, it's a sign of someone that knows how to work. So like I said, count everything. And for those of you that ask, well, what about this? Yes, count it. Everything. Everything means everything. Everything's important. So count everything. Someone asked me, well, then should I count the peas in the pan? And I said, yes, count the peas. If you're going to ask stupid questions like that, then count the peas, right? So count everything. Everything means everything. Some other things to know. You're new in the kitchen. You're, you're really fast on the line. And you pride yourself on, I could pump food out. I could cook this. I could cook this chicken fast. Or I could make this, this, this veg entree, whatever. And then it goes with something else. Right, So there's, there's usually multiple components on the plate and not everyone in many places does everything for the plate. So maybe you're cooking the, the, the protein, but someone else is cooking the vegetables and the starches and the sauces, right? And then they all meet up and then they plate together. Also, sometimes you're cooking, it's like your partner is selling a, a fish and you're selling a steak and they both need to come at the same time because they're going to the same table. A good cook times his food with everyone else on the team. They don't put it up too early. And they don't put it up too early because, you know, they're, they're trying to make a point and, and prove how fast they are, which a lot of cooks do that. You know, they just want to be jerks. I'll, I'll tell you a story. Uh, this is side tangent. When I was a young line cook, I worked the saute station in this Italian restaurant, and I was super young. Everyone that worked in that restaurant was at least 10 to 15 years older than me, some even older than that. I mean, they were, they were grown-ass men, and I was just a young, 
I was just a young pup. And I thought I was like a good line cook. I, at the time, I was like, I'm a good line cook. I know what to do. I, I'm a hustler. Like, I could handle X amount of tickets on my own. And I remember I was working at the saute station, and the guy that was next to me, he was on the pasta station. Well, anyway, no orders of pasta came in. It was just all saute. And I, I probably, I don't know, for the sake of conversation, I had 30 orders. And I had pans everywhere, and I had, like, octopus arms, and I'm, I'm doing everything. And the guy looks at me, and I, I, and I remember him just sitting there with his arms crossed watching me. And I'm thinking this motherfucker, I'm not going to ask you for help. Like I refuse, I refuse to ask you for help. And in retrospect, the right thing to do for the success of the restaurant is ask for help. But in, you know, in that, in this particular case, I was like, I'm not asking him for help. I want to prove to you that I could knock out all these orders. Right. And he was just watching me and I'm cooking, cooking, cooking. Anyway, the rush is done. And he says, you didn't ask me for help. I said, no, I didn't. I didn't need your help. He's like, I just wanted to know if you could cook. That's all. I just want to know if you got it or not, because I need to know who's who's with me on the team. I was like, really? You could have you could have jumped in at any moment because you had no orders, but you just wanted to see if I had what it takes to be a line cook next to this guy because, you know, he was a 15, 20 year vet. Anyway, we digress. Let's talk about recipes. Where you work, assuming that there's recipes, because a lot of places is like, just make this. You know how to make this? Yeah, go make it. But let's assume where you work for the sake of context. There's recipes where you work depending on if you're working in cups and spoons and all that, which, by the way, I don't work in cups and spoons. I work in, in weight measure, so uh, grams and kilos. Um, it's much more efficient, by the way, if you're listening. If you haven't switched over to that, you should. Just buy some digital scales, weigh everything. Your recipes are accurate. It's faster. Chef Steps has a really good video. ChefSteps.com has a really good video demonstrating how much more efficient it is to use a digital scale and make your recipes according to weight versus spoons, cups, fluid ounces, etc. So if you get a chance, go to chefsteps.com and look at that video. It's pretty cool. Anyway, recipes, don't change recipes. As a chef, if you're the if you're the head chef and you're walking around and you see something, if it's your recipe and you've had it with you for years and you've made it hundreds of times, and you go up to someone's like, did you change the recipe? Like, no, I followed the recipe. And it's like, no, you didn't. I, it's wrong. And they're like, how do you know it's wrong? It's like, because it's my recipe. I've made it a thousand times. Follow the recipe and never, ever, ever. It's like a cardinal sin. Do not change recipes. Do not change a recipe that's not yours. Always ask. If you have a better way to do it, and this is an argument that I get in online often because I'll say, you know, never change your chef's recipes. And people will be like, well, you know, I work in kitchens where we collaborate. It's like, that's not what I'm saying. That's a different, that's a different issue. What I'm saying is you're there you're not talking to anybody. You just take it upon yourself to change the recipe. That's an issue. You should not do that because the guests are coming back for specific dishes. Maybe that recipe is in place due to cost or a variety of reasons. You don't know what the reason is. Maybe the chef just likes it. Maybe he's like, you know what? I, I hate bell pepper. So this is the way we're making it. No bell peppers in it. Whatever the case may be, it's not your place to change the recipe. If you have a better way, which you may, and you may have a better recipe, that's okay take it to your chef or take it to the person that's in charge that designed the recipe and has the authority to change it. But as a new cook, it's, it's a frustrating thing when you find out someone has changed your recipes because they think that they know better and they might not understand the full story as to why the recipe is that way. Maybe it's made a certain way because there's no allergens in it because whatever reason. Anyway, do not change recipes. It's a huge thing, um, and it seems to be a huge thing with young cooks. Now, again, I'm not saying that you shouldn't give feedback or offer your opinion or collaborate. That's not what I'm saying. 
I'm talking about in the situation as I discussed earlier. Anyway, I'm ranting. Back to the subject at hand. There's things that the chef will do off-site. They're going to do the local food and wine festival. They're going to go to an off-site catering. They're going to cook at someone's house. Whatever the case may be. Sometimes you get to go with the chef. Take that opportunity. Go with them. Go with the chef. Cook with them. Be their helper. Learn something. Spend some quality time bonding. Pick their brain. Have questions. Get to know them. Find out that they're normal people and they're not the cause of all the problems in the world. They're, you know, chefs are just normal people at the end of the day. They were cooks just like everyone else. But going to the offsite event is good for a variety of reasons. And you might not know this. If you got invited, they like you, right? They think you're responsible enough to go with them. So getting invited is a privilege, right? You get that one-on-one time. You get the FaceTime. And you're the person that they think is someone that they want to spend X amount of hours with talking, right? Because it might just be you and them in, in a car ride and on the way back and, you know, serving dishes or whatever. So getting invited is a good thing. It's good for your career. The person that says yes is usually the person that uh, in the future gets promoted by the chef, right? They're, they're looked upon as like someone I like working with. So it's in your benefit to go to these things. The, however, the price that you pay is that you got to clean up and you're going to be pissed. You're going to be like, why do I have to clean all this mess up? Why did, you know, the chef's over there, you know, mangling and talking, you know, having a cocktail, whatever they're doing. And you're like, why do I have to clean all this up? And I got left here and it's just me and the other helper or whatever. And I'm with the culinary student. What The price you pay is you clean up. It just is. You got to go on this adventure. Don't say no because you don't want to clean up. It's, it's just part of it. Like t- take the opportunity, go with, Go with your chef, learn something, spend some quality time. Whenever these offsite events pop up, go to them, have a good time, mingle, meet other, meet other chefs and, and cooks that are there. You'll have fun. You'll be outside. You'll be listening to music. You might, you might even, you know, sneak a drink when no one's looking or whatever. Maybe your chef's like, here, here's a beer, have a drink. I don't know. Hopefully you're over drinking age limit, depending on where you live. Go to the event. We talked about Halloween ninjas. That's a a term that I use. Here's something else. This is a term that I use. It's called kitchen karate. And kitchen karate, by the way, is, it's like a, it's a certain level of finesse. It's like a martial art. It's not a technique. Kitchen karate is like the mindset, the black belt mindset. It's like the discipline, the, the showing up, doing things the right way even when the right way is harder, right? It's, it's folding your towels. It's cutting the tape straight. It's taking off the tape before you send something back to the dish station. It's stacking your pans neatly for the stewarding team so that they don't got to deal with the jumbled mess of just pans thrown in everywhere. It's kitchen karate is like closing the oven so subtly that no one sees it and moving the pan right before it burns and just it's that dance that people talk about. It's the smoothness in which you work. You cut through something and there's no serrations. It's just smooth, right? It's like butter. It's kitchen karate. And you see it in high-level chefs when you watch them work. They just like, how do they do that? Like they're, they're just so refined in their movements. It's, you know, finesse, right? That's what you need to get good at. Find someone in your kitchen. I guarantee you, if you work in a kitchen with enough, with enough people, someone in there is like a kitchen karate black belt, right? They're bad motherfucker, right? They, they move, they move like no one else moves. They, 
you know, depending on where you work, are they the, are they the kitchen karate black belt that like can saute all these things and, you know, flip eight pans of eggs with two hands. And when no one's looking, they kick the door with their back leg. I, you know, I'm not condoning that, but you know, sometimes that's your kitchen karate black belt or is, or is he the chef de cuisine of the Michelin three-star restaurant that has the palette knife that's like putting the foie gras on smoothly and, you know, the sear is just perfect and makes no mistakes. That's kitchen karate, right? It's how fluid you move in the kitchen. So as a line cook, that's the goal. Like you want to be so smooth and efficient with your moves that they look effortless, right? And that takes time. It's, it's when you set your station and everything's always in the same place at the same time. It's, it's knowing with muscle memory, you turn around and it's going to be there, right? You're going to go grab for this ingredient and boom, it's there. That's kitchen karate. So anyway, don't be Halloween ninjas, be kitchen karate black belts. Long story short. That's going to wrap it up for today. If you want to support the show, follow Chef's PSA on all social platforms. Give us five stars on whatever you're listening. So if you're listening on Spotify, five stars on Spotify. If you're listening on Spotify, there's a link to support the show in the show notes. We appreciate it. Go get some merch. Go get the Chef's PSA book, Culinary Leadership Fundamentals, How Not to Be the Biggest Idiot in the Kitchen, or the Chef's Kitchen Journal. It's a blank book. There's no recipes in there. Go get it. Buy a truffle butter t-shirt. Anyway, see you all next week. Hit the porno music.